Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. My husband has been a sex addict for 40 years. He is 61. We have been married for 25 years, three kids. One year ago, I made a final a final discovery and hit the wall and was ready to leave. He finally started to take his recovery seriously. We had a formal therapeutic disclosure two months ago with polygraph, very traumatic to find out about acting out behaviors that I had not anticipated, including an unpaid affair and a paid affair. He has been working really hard on his recovery and has been answering any and all questions that I have around his disclosure. I just found out last week that he lied by omission on a few facts around the paid affair to try to make himself look better. This crossed my boundary and I have asked for a 60-day out-of-the-house therapeutic separation for my own emotional safety. I am only now starting to understand all the manipulating and gaslighting that has been my 25 years of marriage. My question, can an addict who has been lying to himself and others for 40 plus years learn to be absolutely honest? Wow. That's a big question. So this um, is a question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you just one quick. So Dr. Rob did on We Tonglin um, the um, a, a presentation on prodependence, and this question was um, asked, and he was just starting to answer it, and the session got cut off. So so you have seen this question before, and you were just starting with the wow. That's and then we got interrupted. So, so here I asked them to bring this question here and they did. So, so this is the question. Well, first of all, um, I really appreciate your being here. And I think these are really good questions. And I believe what I said to you last time was I was really impressed with your willingness to take this boundary and this time out. And I think I said far too many spouses are willing to put up with behaviors that clearly you've been hurt by before and yet for whatever reason you get really hopeful or things it's going to change or so i think concrete action like you need to get out of here for a while if you're going to act that way is really really good and i don't care if you have to take them out of your bed or out of your bedroom or out of your house but just saying things to an addict does not affect us nearly as much as doing things and i have to tell you that it's seeking integrity which is our treatment program uh Easily 90% of the people are there are there because they want to save their relationships of one sort or another. So I think for us as spouses to say, I'm going to distance myself from you is the exact kind of thing that will leave us thinking, oh my God, I have to do something about this. It's always been fascinating to me that um, I can dismiss you, disregard you, ignore you, lie to you, um, but and, and I'm just fine with all that. But if you, and by the way, I'll blame you for a lot of that. If you were doing this, if you were doing that, if you're only nicer about this, I deserve to do this because you're acting that way. But the minute one of you moves an inch away from us, oh my God, all our abandonment issues come up. And it's like, I didn't realize how important they were to me. And I didn't realize how much I wanted to stay here and I'm going to lose my family. And suddenly they wake up and realize what's important to you, to them and to you. Um, I absolutely believe that anyone, any human being, unless they are so mentally ill and so impaired that they cannot heal, 
Um, and, you, you know, we know such people, they are unfortunate. They are just too troubled to be able to change their behavior. They, they often aren't functional in the world. But I absolutely believe and have faith, and this is actually where my spiritual beliefs show up, in that everyone who makes a commitment to real healing can heal. Whether they heal in the way that their partner wants or not, I can't say. But they, you know, it depends on the person, the situation, but they can heal. And so someone has been lying to my, themselves and others for 40 years. I have to say that's a great treatment candidate. That's someone you should send to us. And the reason I say that is because when someone is 61 years old, and I often say to this to clients, you know, I started this process at 26. That means therapy, 12-step programs, all of that stuff. I am now 61. If I had the same age as your spouse, had I started at 61, I never could have caught up and gotten to where I am now because I didn't, because I, if you don't start many years ago, so the, to the 61-year-olds, I say stuff like, you know, in 15 years, you're going to have a walker and you're going to be pooping your diapers and who's going to take care of you after what you've done. And um, those are the kind of challenges I give to people my age. But the reality is, is that we really can learn to be different. It may not be the way you would want us to be different. But for example, a lot of the men that I work with aren't honest the very first time out. And they're not just honest about sex. They're not honest. They're not honest about, did I take out the garbage? I mean, because we look at you and we think, oh my God, they're going to be mad at me and I don't want them to be mad at me and I want to do what I want to do anyway, or whatever we think, and then we lie to you. Um, however, um, the good news is that those of us who consistently lie are able to find other ways to be honest with you. One of the things we preach at work is, hey, you may face that spouse and be so worried that you don't tell them the truth, but you can tell them within 24 hours. So we might set a set. There are people who you look them in the eye, you ask them what, and they just lie straight out because they're, they have issues. But I can get people to say, even though I can't say, even though you might lie straight out, something like you can come 25 years, 20, I'm sorry, you can come back forward 24 hours later and clear it up. Um, so there are ways that we can learn to recognize our lying, learn to live in a different way, whether we have to not, whether we get to not do it or clean it up or do an amends. But yes, I think that we can learn to be honest with ourselves first. And I like that you said that. And then we have the room and the capacity inside of ourselves to be honest with others. And this is a lot of what I'm not trying to sell treatment to you guys. People always say that, like, why do you say that? But I don't want them to think I'm trying to sell them something, as you know, Tammy. But anyway, this is what a man like this is exactly what treatment is for, which is 61 years old, haven't really worked on it, have been lying, went through disclosure, left stuff out by omission, you know, and has a 40-year relationship. Um, he has an awful lot to lose. And you've already kicked him out. So there isn't a lot more that he's going to move forward uh, unless he really makes some decisions and changes his behavior. So, Tammy, I don't know if I answered that question, but I sure said a lot of things. Well, I want to key in on two things. So first of all, be absolutely honest. And, it, you know, it's, it won't, I, like that, I think I trip over that word because like Dr. Rob said, you know, will it be absolute honesty in that moment? And if that's what you're looking for, that will be very challenging. But, you know, can there be an ability to clean it up that has integrity about it? At, that I absolutely, you know, agree with. And, and you know, it's so hard because, you know, we talk about formal therapeutic disclosures and, um, and this, uh, you know, the, uh, the omissions are, you know, 
you know, we tell people don't do it unless you're willing to be, you know, truthful. And the lie of omission is, is still a lie. Um, so I'm sorry because it actually, you know, sets things worse. And, you know, the, the silly addict brain is going like, but they won't find out like, well, you know, cause that's our pattern. And that's what we, the lie that we tell ourselves is they aren't going to find out they will. And look what happens, you know, it, it makes it, you know, incredibly worse. But I so honor that you took, you know, you took the hard line that you needed to do for your safety. And I, and I really have also appreciated that you're like beginning to under, understand what life is, diff, you know, how it's different, you know, not living under the constant gaslighting and lies. So good, good job for you. Next uh, question. May I, Go ahead. Tammy, one sure. more thing. This person has a lot of work to do. So if you, and I didn't hear anything, Tammy, unless I missed it about 12 step work. Nope. They're, they're, work, and that might not hard. have been put, yeah, it, yeah, but, but yeah, no. I don't know what working hard on his recovery means or who the person is that they're working with or, you know, at what level they've worked, whether they've done workshops or treatment or, but when someone is in, and the reason I keep talking about treatment is when someone is in this set of circumstances, they've been married 40 years, they're 61, they're still crossing boundaries, they're still lying that, you know, this is someone I'm concerned is not going to get it, just like you're concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't even talk about the polygraph. So, okay, next question. Aside <laughs> from sobriety, there. what are the necessary parts, activities for the sex addict for recovery from sex addiction? Well, I think there was mentioned above. (laughs) Rigorous honesty in all my affairs, I think, was mentioned above. Is that what you were giggling about, Tammy? Well, no, I was like, it's like, I mean, the stopping the behavior is the beginning. It it it's all, you know, it's you know, I I talk to people who don't come to treatment. I was like, you absolutely can put together a plan and it's 12 step in our dropping groups and working with a qualified therapist. But, you know, stopping the behavior is, you know, that's the symptom. So what do you need to do to address the underlying issue so you don't relapse or just switch to another form of acting out that, you know, you know, is less harmful maybe, but is still, you know, keeping the dopamine going. So, so it, you know, um, when I first got into recovery and I kind of forgot about this till just this moment, but it was like, you know, you, you know, you, you come into recovery and you change everything. It's like everything changes your lens of, you know, of dealing with life, you know, like the rigorous honesty. I, you know, I need to be honest about taking out the trash too, not just like, okay, well, I'm not acting out sexually, so I must be okay. It, it really, it, it takes I say this often, if you are um, actively working on your recovery to the same level of energy that you pursued your addiction, you're going to do great. You're going to do great because you're going to be very all in with healing in a different way. So I wanted to add more concrete things, which is what necessary parts. Well, I don't know what sobriety, how you achieved sobriety or what sobriety means to you or what sobriety is for you. Um, you know, I might want to check it out. So one of the things I think is absolutely essential that Tammy talked about underneath the, well, the the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is the addiction. It's the symptom. What's underneath is a whole bunch of other stuff. So, you know, being in good therapy, if you can afford it, is really helpful. Working 12-step programs is essential or some kind of group. Accountability is one of the most important things that matter to me as an addict um, because it's just so easy for me to 
as the last question was, just say things the way I think you want to hear them or, you know, and I, that whole 24 hour rule, um, I tell you within 24 hours, it works even better when I have someone I'm working with in 12 step programs and I can say, Hey, I lied to my spouse today. What do you think I should do? Um, so having people in our lives who are consistently question our thinking, being role models, being, uh, and this is not sexual, this is non-sexual, same sex relationships that have to do with our growing, our ability to connect and remain connected. So what Tammy said, I think, is also really essential. And all of your spouses ask me this. It's fun. I mean, I don't mean to be funny, but I'm going to say it just, excuse my language. Um, what I hear is, you know, I think he or she is sober, but when are they stop going to stop being an asshole? And or when are they going to stop being so narcissistic or where are they going to stop being so self-focused? And, you know, I, I think that sobriety is a very difficult but important step at the beginning. Um, nothing else happens beyond that because you'll never get out of your cycle of misery if you're acting out. But self-esteem, re reducing shame, learning how to have empathy and compassion, realizing what I need and what you need and how to make that happen. Those, unfortunately, are later stage steps. You know, I've heard money very often, where is his empathy? Where is her empathy? It might be empathy is a late stage step. You know, that's why I wrote Out of the Doghouse, um, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. The reason I wrote Out of the Doghouse is because I knew that many, many men in particular would not know how to um, show up for a partner or family and be in recovery. So I actually, in other words, I knew that they wouldn't understand empathy. So I explained to them how to be empathic because I think there's a saying, Tammy, you can work your way into, you're going to live your way into, I don't know what you're going to, you're going to remember. Act your way into good living, not live your way into good acting. So. There you go. Can you say that again? Act your way. Act your way into good living, not live your way into good acting. I like that. So, and that's what we're talking that's about, it. right? I don't know that every man that I who reads out of the doghouse is going to learn how to be empathic inside of themselves. But what I can teach them is how to act empathically. And if I someone, if I'm empathic towards you and you greet me with warmth and it brings you toward me, I learned something. Oh, when I treat them that way, this happens. And so I tried to gui write a guidebook for how to have compassion and empathy when you don't really feel it inside. And so what the reason I'm talking about all this is being kinder, being nicer, being a better human being, being more honest, more compassionate. These are take time. Um, they don't happen right away because they're human characteristics. The acting out is a behavior, but the rest of it is who I am. And evolving who I am is not defined by how sober I am. Um, it has to do with how I'm living my life. And that takes longer than just stopping the behavior. So in the chat, I put, we have a work group for Sex Addiction 101 and Porn Addiction 101. And the book that you just mentioned, Out of the Doghouse, that group started at the same time this webinar did, and it was full. So we'll start another one in February. Um, so those are six-week courses, and they are the psychoeducation that you don't get in therapy, but really good structure and foundation. So the Out of the Doghouse that Dr. Rob mentioned, it will be how to work through that information with peer support. So check those out. Those are supplemental options for you. We provide lots of resources. This is free. Some are free, some are low cost, and then treatment is, you know, expert treatment for life-changing um, results, but, you know, we have a variety of options for you. So next question, I'm a male SA 
are there healthy ways or actions to express or take to address the intensity side of addiction? If so, what are some examples? How do I safely communicate them and this to my partner? This feels like when you talk about addiction is intensity instead of intimacy. Yeah, we. Uh, I was thinking the same thing that, Tammy, you could answer this. You don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right. You know, we also, as addicts, as sex and love addicts, our norm around sex is intensity. It's it's secrecy. It's intensity. It's heart pounding. There, Nobody's going to know and I'm going to go off and do this and it's going to be really exciting. And so our approach to sex inside of us is we get interested in it when things are really intense. But what we confuse is intensity with intimacy because intimacy is not intense. It's quiet. It's subtle. It's, it's connecting. And I think we know how to do intense, but we really struggle to do intimate. And so um, what else do I want to say about that? I got that question. Oh, there we go. Um, Tammy, why don't you jump in there? Cause I'm not sure what else to say. I, I think it's learning to communicate in different ways with your partner. You know, Dr. David often talks mm -hmm. about like sensate focus touch, you know, so it, it takes away the intensity and it gives you connection and, and communicate. I think having conversations about, you know, why you're looking for the intensity, you know, intensity does exactly what Dr. Rob was talking about, but it keeps you distanced in any kind of meaningful way. Cause you're, you know, you're so in the, you know, the dopamine of like, oh, you know, it's not our drug. About, yeah, it is not about connection. I often have people that are reaching out going, you know, we want to reconnect intimacy. And I know they're talking about sex. And I'm going like, sex addicts prove time and again that they can have sex without being intimate, you know? So, so it, it you know, it's look at learning to do things in a very different way. You know, what, you know, we talked about, you know, some foundational components. What's your three circle plan? What can you do that engages in your outer circle behaviors as, mm -hmm. you know, with you and your partner? Like, you know, uh, what is that's meaningful and not about sex addiction, about healthy, you know, healthy living. I've shared before. I like to hike you know that's a meaningful thing for me so you know that, that helps me connect with other people you know in a meaningful way and nature so so what's in your outer circle how can you explore that with your partner that will help you build real intimacy you know um that but different than the intensity that's my suggestion yeah i i um I was thinking also, and I just want to say this because I need to say it, is that for some, what you refer to as intensity may be psychiatric symptoms. Oh. If you're bipolar, you constantly feel the sense of pressure and drivenness and you're kind of impulsive and people who are... Um, people who are anxious or have obsessive thoughts can often be very intense, very distract. ADD is also attention deficit is also a disorder of seeking intensity. Ooh, that's like seeking integrity, only seeking intensity. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, I would, I would, I think there's nothing wrong with getting checked out by a psychiatrist and finding out, you know, I, to be honest with you, I struggled with my recovery for many years in the beginning, many years ago. And I went to see a doc and he was like, oh, well, you have this and that. And I didn't realize that. And by treating this and that, it just made it easier for me to focus on intimacy rather than trying to get my brain to move away from intensity. So there are mental health issues there that I absolutely would want to um, make sure I, I address before I you know, go all to the wall with there's something that I'm not doing right.
Yeah, and that's a great point. But if you're doing that, please go to a qualified professional, not your general GP that, you know, because they just hand you pills. And so you want somebody who understands addiction, but also understands these aspects so that they can treat you properly and you know with a time release medication to, that addresses this symptom but doesn't negatively impact your recovery from addiction so you're getting the right help you know really makes a huge difference but that's a great point you know um uh too so hey tammy did yeah. i tell you i found a hobby by the way i've been looking for a hobby for such a long time and i finally found something i want to do and i want to collect vinyl I used to be so into albums and I have oh, albums. Okay. Like I have I'm friends my age who are like, Oh, I have a garage full of records and I don't want them. And I'm like, really? You don't want them? So I'm thinking about how much I love music and how fun it would be to start a new album collection. So that's and trade them and find them like baseball cards. So anyway, that's my plan for a hobby because it sounds fun. So I'm I have a whole that. container of them. I'm not sharing, but I will. No, oh. I, I will give you the list of, yeah, you can be I don't jealous. want the list. If you're not giving me the albums, thank you very much. But I have people like, I can't have these in my garage. No, anymore, I've got know, a so. player, like it's right over yeah. there and you can still hear the, you know, the crackly sounds when you play them. So yes. Yeah. Well, young people are really into vinyl now and I'm like, what's wrong with them? But um, anyway, no, so that's good. Okay. Can I have one? But we record? digress. Can you sell me one record? I would give you one record. Okay, thanks. Give you. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Rob. My essay husband, sober 18 months, recovery six months, has admitted to fantasizing and masturbating uh, to attract a female clients while in his sales position. He still has these same clients uh, to lunches and dinners on occasion. He assures me that these fantasies do not occur, but it still makes me uncomfortable. How should I handle this? Well, I would say to every partner, and this is a perfect example, trust your gut. If you think something isn't right, it isn't. And if someone says, I have this compulsive and addictive behavior, and now I'm going through the same circumstances exactly, but I'm not doing it, that's a lie. So my guess is, sorry, that this person is lying to you. And I don't usually say things that overtly, but if I were attracting, if I were attractive to my clients, attracting, if I found my clients attractive, and then I was actually masturbating to fantasies about them, um, I would not be able to have meals with them. And by the way, if I were involved with this person, if they were my husband, I would say, if you go out to lunch with one more of those women, there's the door, I'm changing the locks. Because this is disrespectful of you. This is something that leaves you feeling uncomfortable. And what is he doing about it? I mean, isn't it your spouse's job to help you feel better about yourself and feel comfortable and safe as it's your job for him. So why is he entering a situation over and over again that he already knows will make you insecure and uncomfortable to the point where you're asking us? So by the way, I hate to say this, and if he's in the room, you know, he's not going to like me, but I bet there's more going on. This just doesn't sound right to me. If he admits to fantasizing and masturbating and still taking, something's going on. And somehow I think it involves hotel rooms or there's just more to this story. I've been working this field for too long <laughs> to not be able to see through that. And uh, I don't want to make you feel, uh, I mean, maybe that isn't true, but my gut, I don't know, Tammy, what do you think? I'm a hundred percent with you. I don't like, yeah, none of this is, you know, none of this is okay. You know, like we know people that get a different job, you know, because, because the situation was, yeah, was not okay. They move, you know, they move whatever they need to do. If, 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 and I, like, I had somebody that, that told me today that 
they weren't ever going to do that again. And I was like, I've been in recovery a long time. I can't tell you for sure that I will never do that again. I do what I need to do today to, to make sure that I don't, but I'm never going to say forever. Never. I'm going to, yeah, I can't do it. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm an addict, you know? And so this well, is like, Oh, I don't do that anymore. And it's in my head and not even visible. I'm sorry. That's yeah. I want to validate you, Tammy. I'm sorry I interrupted you um, okay. because when people, I've been treating people for I don't know, going on 30 years and I've treated them in all kinds of settings, whether it be outpatient or inpatient or residential, all those kinds of things. And, um, and I have found that these kinds of issues often have a whole lot more going on than you realize. And um, I was going to say something else to you. Um, no, it'll come back to me. Why don't we keep okay. going? Tell it's me. God, I hate getting older. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so the next one is discovery was 13 months ago. We had a three-day intensive disclosure five months ago. He has worked his program, and I believe he has remained sober and committed to me. Although he has not respected my boundaries, like give me space, quit telling me you love me, etc. Oh, there might be more in the so. Okay, that's okay. Here. That's plenty. No, hang um, on. Here's more. So. Um, uh, so the rest of it, I think is he has, he, he has got caught lying a couple of times, benign stuff, not necessarily. Then he admitted to a couple other lies. I asked him to move out, which he did a month ago. So what's the question, Tammy? Do you mind? I don't know. Like, I don't this is one of those question. where, oh, here, he started out of the doghouse tonight can you tell me more about this group? This is one of those where I'll tell you really briefly about the group, but oh, um, it it is, and I put the link in the um, in the chat. But Dr. Rob's most popular book thus far um, is Out of the Doghouse for Men Who Have Been Caught Cheating, and it is, you know, kind of a helpful primer on you know, you know, instead of doing this, do this. And he also states, you don't have to do these things, but if you want to be in a relationship, you do, you know, so you can, you can choose, but you know, like when you say, I want to go back to, um, oh, he's, you know, he's, you know, he, he says he's sober and all this kind of stuff, but you've caught him. He's, that's not sober. Like if he's lying about stuff and he's not coming back to you within whatever the time period is, 24 hours to me is max. Um, uh, you know, you're still catching him and like, that's not a person who's working on integrity. That is not a person who I would trust, you know, is really on a recovery path. So the workshop is psychoedge, any of the work groups, they're not workshops, they're work groups. Any of the work groups are psychoeducation, live facilitated six weeks long, 90 minutes per week. And it goes through, you know, the, the, the information, sex addiction 101, porn addiction 101, or out of the doghouse. So there's material that they're going through. There's exercises, there's homework for them to bring back the next week. So it's not a replacement for 12 step. It's not a replacement for therapy, but it is a great component, you know, to help support, you know, recovery. Yeah, I want to say just to add to that so that you guys don't think we have left you out is that Tammy and I and a couple other folks are working very hard on a betrayed partners group 
um, to help you guys deal with your anger. The, the, the questions that are being asked here, anger, mm-hmm. mistrust, mm-hmm. how do we get back there mm-hmm. again, sex, you know, uh, should I stay? All of those questions, all of that stuff we're putting into a training for spouses. So, um, and we're working hard, aren't we, Tiffany? <laughs> we, um, we do. And we've got couples healing from betrayal workshop or work group that will start again too. So there are other things, but these basic foundational issues, you know, like those, you know, those will be addressed in these, in these work groups. Now, it, as with everything in recovery, it is, you know, people choose to participate on various levels. You know, we always hope people are actively engaged, but there are some people that show up, keep their camera off, don't, you know, participate, you know, they get less out of it. But, you know, the, but the opportunity is there if they're, if, you know, if they're willing, you know, at least if they're showing up and paying attention and not just looking at porn on their phone, I guess that's progress, right? So. Although I do worry about the people who show up in those courses and they do it to say to you, well, see, I'm doing something. So to Tammy's point, the education you know, when I believe recovery is about all parts of us, so we need spiritual growth, we need emotional growth, we need um, healing in our connection to our past, and we also have a brain, and we need to learn intellectually, and unfortunately, what happens is I've seen this in so many years of therapy is, you know, in an hour a week, you get the relationship piece, you get the trauma piece, you might get the addiction piece, but what, how this all fits together, what is addiction, where does it come from, how can you begin to address it, what does it mean? You know, what's underneath it? Those kind of questions are educational. And you really, you know, having run treatment centers for so long, I understand that you get that when you're in treatment. We do a lecture and then we do therapy, but you don't get that when you're in outpatient therapy. And that's why we created it. So people could have this piece that went along with what they're in therapy for that matches it. But what I was saying was, this is not enough. It's nice that we offer these courses. I think we are filling a gap that needs to be filled. But if this person is in therapy, if they're not in 12-step, if they're not reaching out and being accountable to other people, then they just have a bunch of information that's interesting. They might as well have read the book because the information, what do we say about uh, insight alone availed us nothing? The, the idea of learning more, uh, I'll give you another example. Whenever the men enter seeking integrity, and you guys, I'm going to see you tomorrow, um, one of the first questions they want to know is why. Why do I have this problem? Why am I like this? Why do I do these things? Why do I act this way? And I have to tell them to put why away. Because why, although we want a brief understanding of why, so you don't hate yourself, you understand it came from somewhere, and you're broken, not malicious. But beyond that, why is much less important than how. How do I stop? How do I figure this out? How do I have a better relationship? How do I not hurt myself and others? The process is really, it's nice to know why. I think it's nice to know why about two years later. (laughs) But in the early stages of recovery, I need to know what to do when something difficult comes up and I want to go act out. And that's much more important. Oh, and by the way, I could sit all day long somewhere and say, I think the reason I want to go act out is because I'm feeling abandoned by my sister. But that doesn't stop me from acting out. (laughs) That just means I understand why. So um, anyway, uh, that's a lot of stuff. I I need to add one thing to that because I hear often from betrayed partners or from the addict who's going, my spouse wants to know why. And I have, I've said that will be like a normal brain is never going to understand why we do the crazy things. Like it doesn't make any sense, you know? Another addict can understand it. Exactly. Yeah. And so the how is, how do I, stop the behavior and how do we move forward what does that look like because otherwise 
the addiction and the past is dragging both of you, you know, and holding you chained. So, you know, not dismissing how important it is to stop the behavior and move forward and to address the pain, but, but really it is, how do we move forward, you know, given where we are right at this moment, you know, you'll never figure out a good enough answer for why, where you finally go, Oh, now it makes sense. And I can completely forgive him and we can go on our merry way. It doesn't work that way. So, I wanted to say something about the last one, one more Please. thing, because this person said, although he has not respected my boundaries, like giving me space. So this also tells me someone doesn't get it because, uh, by the way, out of the doghouse, one of the first things I say to guys is don't apologize. Don't make excuses. Don't tell them why you did this, because it all, you know, and number one, it, it begs for forgiveness and you're the one who's been hurt. And I don't need your forgiveness. I need to get my shit together. And so many of the men I work with are so focused on you. You know, what if they leave me? What if they're upset with me? What if I do this? How about they don't focus enough on them? And that is a problem. I'm not, you're not going to leave me if I'm really dedicated to my own recovery, because it will spill out into our relationship. But if I focus on making our relationship better and having you forgive me, um, that is not the right direction for me to be going. And that will come as a result of my healing. It isn't the place to start it. So when you hear, when you write, doesn't respect my boundaries, doesn't give me space, is still telling me he loves me 10 times a day. I think throwing him out was a great idea. I love that. Um, in fact, I, I'll pay for the locksmith. Um, what's the next question, Tammy? Well, and I want to tag on uh, uh Oh, shoot. Now I completely forgot what you were just talking oh, good. about. But I was I'm not like, alone. Yeah, no, no, no. But it was about. I was talking partner. about not respecting this person's boundaries. Yeah, but it was the, the um, partner. Tammy, this oh, is the, the blind the leaving partner, the blind. The, the fo focus on partners. And, and it's a great, like, I don't have to look at me if I'm focusing on, oh, how do I help you? How do I help you? Like, it's really challenging because they're like, like, it sounds good. Like, oh, I want to help you heal. To me, it's manipulative. And, and I, you know, I'm going to, yeah, and distracting. I want to focus on you. And then I don't have to focus on me. Like, it, you know, so, so I, I, I really agree. It has to be, I'm doing my work. I'm going to do the best I can on every given day to do my work. And hopefully you start seeing that I'm changing and becoming trustworthy. I think one more thing about addicts, especially when they go through treatment or they've been through an intense period of healing, is that we get evangelical, I can't say that word, evangelical, which means we go through treatment, we learn a lot, and then all of a sudden we have to help everyone in our lives recover and heal because now we've seen the light. And the problem is we need to just focus on ourselves for a while. And um, and again, as we were saying, to say, I'm going to heal my family, I'm going to you know focus on my spouse excuse me, is to not embrace the issue, which is I have a problem and I need to look at it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.